Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Vince. Zach is dead, but we'll be back next week. And so until then, we're going to talk about Aquaman number six, written by Brandon Thomas and Chuck Brown, illustrated by Max Rayner. Vince, this is the last episode of this book, at least for a while. There is no solicited next issue, but it is not officially canceled, I don't think. So who knows what we're getting here? Oh, there's a hot take. Um, but, you know, what did you think of this uh, final issue of Aquaman? Um, oh, I didn't even take any notes because it was so mid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's harsh. I mean, it's it was fine. Um, I think <sighs> my problem is, is that my take on this one is going to be based on pure speculation. So I, I'm just going to say that right up front, right? To me, the first half of this thing is like a decent ending to the story we've gotten so far. I'm putting ending in, in air quotes here. Um, but it really feels to me like once again, here's a story by... Uh, some up and coming creators uh, with some characters that maybe don't get to have their own books or especially not ongoing titles uh, hardly ever. I'm talking about like Aquaman, Aquaman's uh, the fam, the extended family, you know, of course Aquaman right, right. usually has an ongoing, but like, you know, how often do you get, books that are explicitly about the other people in, in Arthur's life. Right. Right. Um, is once again, derailed by an event. And I say that when like, I, I really don't dislike either half of this comic, but I wish they were not two halves of one comic. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, Yes. Like this, this story deserved to exist on its own and tell its own story, do its own thing. And then this stuff um, that gives a little bit of seasoning to the end of the justice, death of the justice league stuff is we've talked before about how we like when we get to see the ancillary characters in the DCU react to big events or big changes or deaths or whatever. Like we like that stuff that gives the, the universe some more flavor, but it really felt here out of place and kind of slapdash as a coda to this proper Aquaman story. And it feel, it makes me wish that like there was a separate, but more explicit, Dark Crisis Aquaman tie-in. I, I know we've kind of got the backup thing that's happening in the Superman one, and that do we get an Aquaman one explicitly down the road? I can't remember. Um, I don't believe so. I believe everyone who gets a backup that is like their story. Yeah, well, that's what I figured. Story. Yeah, but but I think like you know, short of just making a bunch of issues that don't matter and making people pay more money for them, like. I feel like there could be like a, a tales of dark crisis or, 
or or you know how like Marvel would do those um, uh, event tie-in miniseries that were like the 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 people on the grounds perspective of whatever big event is. Sure, going, sure, you know? yes, yes. I I I almost wish. Of course, if they did this, I would hate it. But <laughs> but I almost wish that they did a series of those where this stuff could take place and they could maybe even even build it out a little further rather than take up two halves of a, of a comic that was doing perfectly fine on its own, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot well, of I words mean- to say that, like, I thought this issue was decent and yet, uh, like, just indicative of some of the messes that happen in big two comics these days. Yeah. I I don't think any of that's wrong. I think I was probably a little bit higher on this than you were, but I think I've also probably been a little bit higher on the series so far than you have been. Um, Yeah. But, but overall, I I do think that this feels like two things that were stitched together and not particularly elegantly. There's only one thing in the first half of the book that connects it at all to the second half. And that is Arthur being like, Oh, got a piece. Bye. <laughs> and then it turns out that's the end of the last time that Mira sees him before he's quote killed. Right. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I thought that this, this Aquaman series was a success in a way. Like I'm it's, it's weird to talk about this book in the past tense because we don't really know what the future holds for it, but it feels like this is probably this. I mean, it's probably it, right? Don't, don't you feel like this is probably the end of this series? I do. I felt like that months ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I just thought that DC would have commented on it in some in some way because, especially, they're not afraid to. They're not Marvel in the sense that they solicit everything as an ongoing, whether it's going to stay an ongoing or not. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is just. This just feels very much like a like a whimper at the end of what could have been a really impactful story, especially because we do get a little bit of stuff like we see Garth about to bone down. Right. It seems like he has a relationship building here. And when's the next time we're like, are we ever going to see this ever again? Probably not. You know, I thought that the relationship between Jackson and Black Manta ended in a pretty, a pretty decent place. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of things in this story that could sprout into interesting Aquaman tales down the road. But I just, I feel like when, when Aquaman comes back, it's going to be just an Aquaman book again, even though yeah. I, I mean, we, we have to say if you take the Kelly Sue run out of it, because that was very much an Aquaman, like lost his memory and was doing his own thing. The Dan Abnett stuff really did include a lot of the supporting characters. Like yeah. Abnett's run did a decent job of connecting the supporting cast to to the to Aquaman himself. But I I still feel like we're not going to get a book like this again that is going to be so purposely focused on Atlantis. Although like I I mean I I'm I think you and I are probably in the same boat here where we feel like we would like to have two Aquaman books, two Wonder like two and basically any of the big five or six characters, we feel like there's enough to sustain two titles there. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's um, you know, through having one that's more 
focused on the main character and then one that's focused on his supporting his or her supporting cast or like you know i think we talked about a themiscarin book or you know stuff like that an atlantean book i think that there's room for that at dc i just don't think we're ever going to get it in this form maybe we'll get it in like a webtoon or something of the along those lines but i think even that's looking less and less likely yeah uh that's a bummer um uh, we talk about Max Rayner's art a little bit here. He was not the original artist on this series, but I thought he did pretty decent work here. It's it's maybe not quite as good as the original uh, couple of issues, but I thought it was fine. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I I agree. I always think Max Rayner is fine, and I don't mean that it, that sounds like a backhanded compliment. But what I mean is like one of those artists that will do like nothing will ever look weird or wrong. You know, there won't be, there won't be like uh, misplaced nut faces and (laughs) anatomy that looks weird and it's going to be solid story. It's not going to like be inventive or like, you know, break through the format or the panels or anything like that, but it's going to tell very clear, good looking storytelling reliably. I, like I like when Max Rayner shows up on a book, even if I don't think of Max Rayner as somebody whose art I love. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. To me, it's just that I am such a Sammy Bossery fan. Oh yeah, yeah. That I feel like it's uh, it's you know, just a bit of a letdown because of that. Yeah, but you can at least see the like. There is a similarity to similarity to the style, even if I think Bossery is better at it or or more sophisticated sure yes no i mean this is this is perfectly cromulent even crumpulent uh you know fill in work yeah yep um i i i always think it's funny when like uh superheroes who are friends of other superheroes learn that their friends die by like looking at an ipad or something um yes in the second half of this, like half of the people in Atlantis are realizing that that Arthur is dead, like while looking at their smartphones or whatever. Right. It's it's uh, I always just think like, you know, back in uh, the 80s or whatever, Martian Manhunter would just send out a mass mental communication that somebody <laughs> died. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I, I feel like to be fair, like it, anyone who would have sent out that message is probably dead. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fu- I mean, they're just like us, right? They get all their news <laughs> from the, from their dang social media. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so like, I sound like drunk uncle. Now kids <laughs> walking around. Netflix with their- me, Netflix <laughs> me. <laughs> no, I want to dance with somebody. <laughs> I want to feel the beat with somebody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, before we get off of this episode issue, rather, uh, let's share what Zach said on his deathbed. He sent us his messages for this. Oh yeah, he yeah, said aggressively right. mid, but the art is nice. Okay. Yeah, I, I think. Uh... I'm somewhere in between you guys, I guess. And again, I, I, I am not in love with this issue at all. I just, I, I, I weep for what this book could have been. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. Oh, my ears are itchy. 
I wonder why. <laughs> all right. Uh, What's all next? Right. Uh, scratch your ears as we're talking about DC Mech number one now. Uh, <laughs> DC Mech number one by uh, Kenny Porter and Baldemar Rivas. Rivas? Rivas. We'll say Rivas. Um, Rivas. So- <laughs> Rivas and Rudhead. <laughs> Revis, who was the son of Redhead, of course. Yes, we're, of course. we're aware of this. Um, so uh, this is one of those books that I feel like DC would never have done 10 years ago. This and Jurassic League feel like DC acknowledging, like, hey, here, here's a fun thing that, that we can we can goof around with, whereas I used to make everything trying to feel important. This has no pretense of importance whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And God bless it for that reason, because this is a lot of fun. Yeah. First of all, this looks great. This is a really pretty comic. The action scenes are exciting and interestingly done. The character designs are really uh, inspired. Like the mech suits look very cool. Uh, the the storytelling is really inventive in parts. Uh, the, the way that Revis draws like some of the action sequences are are not how you would think like giant mech suit battles would look. And when it's just the regular super heroics, that stuff looks really dope too. This is one of the best looking books I've looked at in a very long time. And I had so much fun with this. I really couldn't believe it. It was, uh, yeah, I, I dug this quite a bit. Uh, before I get to you, let me just give Zach's thoughts. I'm trying to sprinkle these in throughout the uh, episode here. Zach said, art is good. Writing and concept is much better and more interesting than I expected. I like this better than Jurassic League. Vince, what say you? Yeah, I think I agree with everything Zach said and and everything you said. Um, I think the f- really fun thing about... Uh, this comic, you, I mean, you already mentioned how great the art is, and I agree. Um, but I, I think one of the neat tricks that you may not even notice that's pulled off here with the art is there's a melt. So it's DC mech, and it kind of plays upon the the like mecha genre of like Japanese television or, or anime or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And quite literally these different robots almost take stylistic cues from different anime or, or robot show. Like when I look at the Superman one, that's that that's flying away from mm-hmm. Krypton at the beginning of this, that almost looks like a big guy in rusty which is not a that's not an anime, but but it almost looks like that to me. That kind of a robot, the more chunky, heavy, rounded one. Whereas almost then like, almost Iron Giant ish. Iron Giant. Yep, yep. That's probably the better reference because like that is kind of a Superman, Superman reference. Book. Uh, so film yeah. rather. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. But then like the Rogues look more like Mega Man like Mega Man robots, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with that. Um, and uh, like, I, I like to the point where there's a boomerang man in Mega Man uh, four. Is it? Um, 
and then here like literally captain boomerang looks like it could be boomerang man from mega man <laughs> um uh, which i think you know and then i think the bat mecha comes off as a little more like techno sleek maybe like more like a modern mm-hmm. uh robot anime um and and so but like all very much melding these concepts together into the Baldemar Riva style, which is already kind of like manga adjacent, I think. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's really a perfect artistic fit. Um, Zach's words were like, it's better than I expected or better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. That's, this is better than it has any right to be, you know? Yes. Um, one of the things you said, Brian, was uh, DC in the past, DC would have been trying to be more serious or I think that's how you put it, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything had to be more serious and more like, quote, important, unquote. Yeah, yeah. I think even just a few years ago, this is something that maybe they would have published, but it would have been. Remember that DC? Um, I think it was. Oh, who's that writer duo? Um, that that uh, has worked on the Bat books recently. Um, uh, the, the the hacktivist guys. Yeah, the hacktivist guys. Yep, yep, yep. That's, that's how I only refer to them from now on. Because <laughs> one yeah. of them is Kelly, one of them is Lands, and I can never remember which first name goes with which. That's right. So, that's they're right. the hacktivists. Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing. I think um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't didn't weren't they the ones who wrote the comic that was about that like DC uh like car toy line or some or maybe they were models they weren't toys they were like models or something that that sounds like it's a thing that could have happened but I, I <laughs> yeah. don't remember it happening because it was so forgettable anyway my point my point in saying that is that maybe you would have seen this as one of those right but like even then they were more self-serious than this you know yes um i feel like this is a response to the success of like just in general of the more manga style artists the more like uh anime influenced artists Mm -hmm. i i feel like um you know since like the batgirl of burnside we've just been evolving to this, right? <laughs> that's uh, interesting way to put it, sure. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's the best. No, I, but you know, I know you what, know what I mean. Like, I know exactly what you're saying. Yes, yes. Yeah, like that, that was, was the point when this kind of art all of a sudden started to be in vogue rather than something that was like a, a, an occasional one-off. Right. That was the first time that this art seemed... Um, like it seemed like they were Mainstream. purposely. It, it it seemed it seemed purposeful on DC's part that they wanted to do something different. Yeah, it felt very much like we we want to be inspired by by these types of comics, by manga, etc. And uh, yeah, so I agree with that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that this exists. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm a little surprised in a good way. So it begins with sort of a JSA story, and in that we see the JSA kind of is just like your your standard issue, um, you know, uh, 
superheroes, right? They're they're just they're, they're that JSA is not that different from a JSA you would see in another book. And then all of a sudden you get the mech stuff, but there's but the heroes are still in costumes. Like I love that it's not just like Bruce Wayne piloting the Bat Mecha. It's Batman piloting the Bat Mecha. <laughs> you know, yes. like I, I I love that they're they're still in costumes and uh you know and they're doing this. Yeah. I, I think that's a really uh I think that's a really fun this little wrinkle to this story. And I'm, I'm, I'm... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go, no, go, please. I was just going to say, I'm glad you brought that, that them wearing the costumes thing up again. Cause that reminded me to make another reference to a thing that I think this is referencing, which is Evangelion. Um, because, for that. well in Evangelion, the, one of the big things about it is that they, they wear these like plug suits and they very specifically have to wear these suits in order to pilot. Okay. Avas. Okay, got it. So like it, it I I feel like it's playing upon that with like Bruce having to wear his bat. I mean, Superman does the same thing. He's wearing like the tights or whatever. And Super, Superman um, at least is coming like he's literally coming from Krypton at this point. So <laughs> like, you know, you can't blame him for being dressed in Kryptonian duds. That that's all he has. So Yeah. Um but yeah, no, this is super fun and uh this is one of the I'm going to call it now. We're going to say we're going to talk about this book again, but we're not going to because other things are going to come up. And then when it's over, we're going to lament that we didn't talk about it, but that's just the way it's going to go. Well, we could make a pact right now tonight. Uh, well, first of all, one third of the pact is in here and, and another third may not be uh, reliable in this moment. Uh, so so let's, just, well, let's just agree that we'll, we'll try to read this again, but we'll see what happens. Well, I was I was gonna, I was going to suggest the uh, like the like we we set in stone the sixth issue return to this okay it's six issues right six, yeah I I can I can get with that okay yeah because sometimes that's a thing that we like sometimes bring up like uh yeah maybe we'll uh, revisit this is like in the DMs you know like yeah maybe we'll revisit this uh, at the end and then we never do you know and then like the rare times we do. I, th I feel like it's a book where we like actually did a decent job, all three of us of keeping up with it, even if it was off air. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I was just going to say like, maybe we just say today we're doing DC mech six, whether Zach likes it or not, <laughs> we're doing two DC mech six, two thirds and, majority here. Yeah. Two thirds majority. And th so that that'll be what like December, I guess. I guess. Yeah. 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 So, uh well don our christmas finest we'll we'll drink some uh some um uh what's, what's the fucking thing called uh, eggnog eggnog couldn't get the word out for a second there uh i was gonna say Man, which one of us is uh messed up right now i i did i gave nothing away in my in my note of uh of concern before <laughs> sir i was purposely very vague so as to not throw you under the green bus but here we are so <laughs> Uh, let's take a break and when we return we'll talk about uh two more books this week so stay tuned
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with the latest incarnation of Detective, Com- of that, Detective Comics uh, from the new creative team of Ram V and Raphael Albuquerque. This is Tech 1062. And uh, I, I want to start with Zach's commentary on this and we'll go from there. Zach said, underwhelmed by the main story, not the best Albuquerque art I've seen. Sucker for a Barbatos appearance. Uh, we'll save his <laughs> thoughts in the backup for the end. Yeah, I, I had said, I don't know if I said this on air or I said this off air a few weeks ago, that I was afraid that this was going to be Rom V's Tom King moment, where <laughs> it was going to be just a little bit too much in a direction that I that 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 it, it was gonna be just a little bit too much right that it was going to, to push in a direction that I wasn't necessarily feeling and I don't want to say necessarily that I was right because I don't think this is bad necessarily but this definitely did not like I, I have read almost everything that Rom V has written for DC and I don't think this falls in the best stuff that he's written thus far for the publisher and i have read almost everything rafael albuquerque has drawn for dc and i don't think this is the best albuquerque art we've seen so it's it's just a i, I don't know i i i've i was not as uh taken by this as perhaps i thought i would have been by the creative team involved and i have some more thoughts on that but what did you think before we get to that yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of the word around this one, um, when the solicits came out and and when they could find when the team could finally talk about it, was like, it was a level of hype that made me think it was going to be something other than what it was. I think, and what I mean by that is like when this story started out, it starts with this opera, right? That um, it's kind of an allusion to crime alley. Right. Right. Um, And then there's a, like when they were doing the opera part, I was like, okay, I, this is the thing that they were talking about when they said that the, this is unlike any, st- I think Ram V said something like I've never written a story like this before, or I, I was stretching some, it made, it made me think that it was going to be like, not the traditional Batman crime fighting story, right? It was going to be right. something else, something maybe more like, um, spiritual or, or like, uh, metaphorical, right? And in the end, like, I thought that's where this was going when it started with this, like, weird opera scene. And then it panned to the empty seat that was being saved for Bruce. And then I went, okay, that's on the nose. 
And then from there, it was really just a traditional. It was a traditional Bruce Wayne Batman story. Uh, and it left me a little disappointed because of what I thought maybe the story was going to be based on like how it had been portrayed in the in the pitch or whatever. I mean, I I won't disagree with any of that, but I also feel like the opera part wasn't great. It looked really cool. Yeah, but I don't know. It just it just felt. If you had told me the pitch for this book, this is exactly what I would have pictured in that it's an interesting idea. It looks nice, but it's also the most boring version of this type of story. And that's what bums me out about it. It's just like there's this, you know, overwrought dialogue, which is supposed to be overwrought. It's supposed to be operatic and all that. I get all of that, but it doesn't make it fun to read. So that that part wasn't necessarily fun to read. It was nice to look at, but not fun to read. And the rest of the story was just this, you know, underwhelming bad story. The best part of it was the conversation that Bruce has with Dick at one point where Dick calls him an old man and he, he basically wants to fight him, you know, as yeah. a joke or whatever. But like yeah. that's that, that, that showed a nice like connection between the two. But the, the rest of this just felt, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't feel special to me. Like you were saying, this was hyped as something that was going to be special. And this did not feel that way. And um, I don't know if that's because of, the art being a little bit off or if it's because the writing's a little bit off. I don't know. It's just, it, it, it wasn't particularly my cup of tea. Yeah. Same. Um, one more thing before, unless you have other stuff no, to say, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'll come back one to one more you, thing. Ahead. Oh, okay. I just have to say Letterman voice. Arzen Orgam. Paul, Paul, do you enjoy Arzen Origam? Um, uh, origami. <laughs> Arzum. Arzum. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all I have to say about this. <laughs> yeah, uh, my last note on it is that this could be the start of something interesting. I'm not saying I'm not giving up on this run just yet. I just, it's just not, I don't know. Like I said, I just got fart sniffy vibes from the, from the sort of press that was being done about it when it was announced. And uh, I have not been dissuaded of that by this first <laughs> issue. Yeah. Uh, but this issue does have a backup in it. It's a Jim Gordon backup. It is by your favorite writer, Cy Spurrier. And illustrated by and illustrated by Danny. You found this incomprehensible? No, not really. Okay, no, I was gonna say that's, no, that's usually that's, what I think. Right. That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, let, let me just gush over Danny's art here for a second. Danny is like the best thing at DC, consistently, yeah, artistically. This the her Gordon looks like. <laughs> it's like like an abstract painting of Jim Gordon at any time, <laughs> but it totally works. Gordon fully looks like a guy who's been a cop for forty years. This is this is just a really really beautiful artistic piece, and I think Spurrier does a really nice job with the script here. 
and uh, it's a three-parter. And I, I also want to note, both parts of this have colors by Dave Stewart, mm. which is not a common DC thing, but is a glorious thing because That's Dave Stewart was so good. That's also what kind of made me think that the first half of it was going to be, or the first story was going to be something more than it was, you know? Right. Cause you have, you have this prestigious it, colorist on it. Yeah. Cause I think we knew that. I think we knew that at the time. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, you were saying about the, the, the backup art. No, I, I just thought the backup art is, is fantastic. And the backup story is very interesting too. And it, it sort of picks up on the end of the Joker series, which, you know, I don't think any of us are necessarily um, clamoring for a return to. But we all liked initially how that felt very much like a Jim Gordon series in everything but name. Right. And so it's nice to see Jim Gordon continue to get some spotlight here. Um, Gordon being a drunk is not I, th- I think that's been done before but he's not really like i like the way this is handled this to me actually feels like somebody who's kind of lost and on a little bit of a bender i feel like sometimes in comics everybody's either a teetotaler or like <laughs> just a just a raging alcoholic and this this feels somewhat like a an actual person's response to the thing that's happening in their life and i really enjoyed it what did you think yeah, I, boy, I think you and Zach like it more than I do. Um, oh, yeah, Zach said uh, backup is good, though. Very noir. Spurrier's Gordon voice is very fun. Yeah, I, I, I think you guys are technically right. Like, like if I was more objective, I think. But um, something about Spurrier, like, if this is one of those things where, like, he is so critically well thought of and I just don't see it where I feel like I'm wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Like, like I feel like, okay, I, I am just wrong about this one and I'm never going to be right. It's, it's um, like you with the clash and Prince and onions. I get it. <laughs> yeah. It actually is exactly the same thing. It is. Yeah. Like Prince, like totally recognize why he's great, but yeah, this is a Vikings just, fan. That's why that's exactly it. I, I mean, on a psychosexual level, that's got it. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, but uh, but I, I, that's not to say that this is bad. Like, I don't think this is bad. I just don't see in it what everybody else does. You know, I don't see in <laughs> everybody else being me and Zach. <laughs> yes, but also like the raves you see online as well for the for the writing, you know, okay. it's it's just one of those things. And sure. so like there was nothing wrong with this. But a mix of not really being into the writer's style or dialogue the way that you guys are um, with also a storytelling subject in Gordon that like at right now feels a little played out, I think. Um, Like can totally recognize that it's well done but I don't want another Gordon story right now, I guess that's kind of what the Joker, that's what the Joker book was basically. Right. And I didn't, I didn't keep up with that through the whole thing, but I read a good chunk of it and you know, that was my Gordon story for a while. um, If that makes sense. Sure. 
Sure. It's ageism. I get it. <laughs> Not young and sexy enough for Vincey. No, no. Did, actually, that's... Did they, was he gray in this or is he orange? Oh, he's he's gray in this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Um, yeah. Then, yes, I'm ageist. Yeah. Uh, I, I did want to talk about how it feels like, like a lot of times we tend to get a, a creator, specifically a writer, coming on to a, a title or a family of books, and we see their their sort of influence color the way that other books in the in the line are are discussed or we see sort of like a coalition forming around okay we see that writer x is doing this in this book and we're going to see more of that it's rare that we get an artist joining a line of books and we see that art style sort of becoming a thing and I feel like Danny has very much found a corner in Gotham that is not being explored by anybody else, just visually. Like I would not think I would not think that Asriel and Jim Gordon are bedfellows in any way. But Asriel and Jim Gordon both got the Danny treatment, and I kind of feel like there's a uh there's going to be more like this because the Danny stuff has been so good. And I think it's really cool that it's happening a around art and B happening with Danny specifically. Cause I love Danny's art. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with any of that, I guess. Um, Danny's the th- thing that I'm going to come back for here. Yeah. I, uh, this also gives me, uh, and I, I reference this. Uh, people take a shot out there. If you're listening, <laughs> And you're playing along. Uh, this gives me a little bit of Gotham by Midnight vibes. One mm. of the uh, forgotten books of the New 52 that I really enjoyed. Just the sort of more supernatural side of Gotham. Not that this story is particularly supernatural, but just the way that Danny draws stuff, just it reminds me of like Batman the Cult. And, you know, just, just when, when Gotham looks spooky. That 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 that's the Kelly Jones fan of me, right? I like it when Gotham looks like a Tim Burton film or looks like a Halloween parade. That's that's sort of my favorite Gotham. So I I very much appreciate when Gotham feels this way, and Danny does that well. Yeah, definitely. Well, that brings us to our final book of the week, which is Superman Space Age number one. Written by Mark Russell, illustrated by Mike Allred, colored by Laura Allred. Um, so I, I have two things I want to say, one of which is not important, but really tickled me. And then one is, I think, going to maybe get you mad at me. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, oh, no. Not, not because of my thoughts on this book. It's because I want to, I want to compare this book to. Oh, okay. So uh, my first thought is that Mike Allred is like a particular brand of genius because he's obviously he's a huge fan of like the classic Superman stories and looks and all that. And he flipped the script and instead of making Jor-El look like Marlon Brando, he made Pa Kent look like Marlon Brando. Like it's <laughs> legit. If you look at it, it is totally him doing Brando. And I, I didn't lo- even just like flip through and looking. It's, it's very clear. And it's so cool that he is just mixing up which father figure 
of Clark's is Marlon Brando instead of uh, yeah. instead of Jor-El. So I love that. Secondly, this is the new frontier, but for the Silver Age instead of the Golden Age. Well, that's exactly. I was going to say I, that. I guess, for, I guess for later in the Silver Age, the new frontier is Silver Age too. But like, right, right. Uh, the, um, the next decade. Yeah, the 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 crisis stuff. No, I mean e- e- even like. Just, no, I mean like that era, right? No, I mean just like New Frontier was set in what year? Nineteen, like the fifties, right? I, I can't remember. This just feels like that book. I'll look it up while you talk about it in a second. But like, sure, like um, a decade later. Yes, exactly. It's like telling a similar story a decade later. You it's know, it's. It's almost that book. Okay, so here, that New Frontier is set between 1945 and 1960. And this is set between like 1960 and 1985. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, the era for this that, well, I don't know. No, that doesn't make sense. I was going to say like, if you set it in the DC Warner Brothers movies of the 70s and 80s, right? But right. that only really applies to the Superman stuff. Right, and and even Superman, like that film, takes place sort of like an amorphous time frame. Like, yes, there is like a giant neon Coca Cola sign in downtown Metropolis, <laughs> but everyone kind of dresses like the fifties, right? So it's 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 not yeah. that's not like a specific era, uh, in the yeah. way that this is completely tied to nineteen sixty three or whatever it is, you know, with the Kennedy assassination and all that. Uh huh. Yeah. No, but I. I had the exact same note. Like, is was that the thing you thought was going to make me mad? Yes, because I, I know how much you love the New Frontier. I didn't want to uh, besmirch, you know, a book you love by comparing a, a different book to that. Yeah, no, um, absolutely not. I had I made the same comparison, um, not even halfway through this one, really. Um, but what I was going to caveat that with is I don't want this to this could very easily be like a trinity situation where <laughs> yeah we, true. we declare yeah. we declare this the uh the new front the updated new frontier and then like the next issue could make a totally garish like political illusion or something that ruins the whole thing right um it's just some just some really bad like uh historical comparison stuff you know like or or politics that look like really weird right um and then just spoil the whole thing uh i don't think that's gonna happen because i think russell's too smart for that and i think anything allred's got his name on is is cool in my book um so i can't imagine i can't imagine this not going apace for the next two issues compared to this one you know I, i i can't imagine it going off the rails Right. Um, and I really do think it's that level of work. Um, it's really encompassing a lot of when I first heard about this book, I thought, oh, he's just going to be revisiting Superman in this era. But he's roping in Justice League stuff. He's roping in crisis stuff. It's wild. It's the crisis it's, stuff is really wild. Yeah, I would when when you saw Pariah. Yeah. I was like, whoa, 
if it was one panel, that would be wild that it's in a book like this. But the fact that that went on and on for like a few pages. Well, not only that, the book starts in 1985 with the end of the world. Right. It's, Which, it's crisis. It is. And like, I maybe thought that when, when like hell was raining down on the, on the fortress of solitude, like I was thinking like, is this crisis? But I didn't, like you probably saw the year and immediately thought that, but I'm smooth. It just bounces off my smooth brain. And then I pick it up later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I definitely, and I think that that's also a really elegant way to tell this story. Like, you know, one of the things we talked, we've talked about in the past is like, sometimes DC doesn't know, or comics in general, media in general, doesn't know when to leave something well enough alone and tries to like sequelize everything. Mm-hmm. If this is going, this is taking place on an alternate, on like a one of the Earths that was destroyed in Crisis, this is a really like neat package to, to tie it up in. Yeah. Although I don't yeah. know, if, I don't know if the world's actually going to end in this way. Like it, I, that's that seems pretty ballsy to do that, but I kind of hope it does. I, I kind of think it is. I kind of, I almost think that. Russell said something in, in in an interview about like, no, that's the, that is the crisis. That's the end. Yeah. Like he's giving you the ending right up front and it's, I mean, it's not going to subvert. The, the last dialogue we get in that 1985 sequence, Clark says to Lois, have I ever told you how much I love you? She says every day. He says, good. Then Jonathan says, dad, is everything, everything's going to be okay. Right. And he says, no, Jonathan, it's not. And that's all right. And it's just heartbreaking and beautiful. It's just really, it's really well done. This whole thing yeah. is really well done. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to uh, to dig more. To Is this three issues? Do we know how many issues this is? I believe it's three issues. Yeah. Also, is this is this technically black label or do we, are we not doing that anymore? <laughs> um, it's that thing where it's very much in the black label format. Yeah, but the it's, book one, book two, book three, yeah. but it doesn't say black label anywhere on our copy. Yeah, I don't know if we're um, done with uh with, with, with black label. I can't remember yeah. the last time a black label book was announced. Can you? No, but there's still some actively coming out. So I wonder, you know, like there there is still going to be a Wonder Woman Historia coming out yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I no, I can't think of I can't think either. Hmm. This is very strange the, how a black label came, black label basically wiped out um Vertigo and now it's gone too, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a really good point. Um but yeah, as far as I know this isn't and it doesn't feel it like the only reason it feels like it should be is because it's very prestigious looking right right it, it, it's the prestige element of black label not the batman's dick slash harley quinn <laughs> element of black label yeah although here's hoping for issue two right oh man i, I want to see that super slong <laughs> <laughs> drawn by mike alred oh god <laughs> it would be um, it, it would look just a little bit weirder than it should <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Mike Allred, though, like I am the Allred boy. It's well established. This is like my ideal style of art. One of the best to ever do it in my mind. Um, just that opening sequence where 
Clark is like calmly walking through the meteor shower above him. <clears throat> yeah. What a great, what a great page that is going into the fortress and the artifacts and the bits with the family. Just oh, man. I don't know if this is the best stuff Allred's ever done because he's so damn consistent, but it's up there. It's just the level of detail while also being so clean. Oh man, it's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, this is also like setting this in this era is just teeing up a a pitch for Allred to knock out of the park. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. This is this is the era that he thrives in. And of course there's a Beatles reference in here, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that's just that's again just like such an all red thing, but it just this just seems like it's it's a really good pairing of artist to both time period and characters. And Mark Russell, I know you have been down on Russell in the past as as have I, but I think you've been more vocal about it because yeah. I guess you're not as much of a fan of his like sticky stuff that he does, but when he's well, doing a story that it, I'm sorry, I'll let you go in a second, but I'm saying, but this, sure. this is not this. There is no shtick to this. Right. Right. Um, it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm like not a fan of his sticky stuff, but I think at a, at a certain point, I don't know if he like took on too many projects or whatever, but I started to feel like, like I got the joke and I got it the same way every time every book that he did had like a, there was that um, future state title that felt like it had nothing to do with future state. Um, Like I I feel like I knew what the joke of that was going to be before I even read the book. And then the book did nothing to engage me beyond that, I guess. Sure. Whereas this like, Man, it's the most measured Mark Russell we've ever gotten, I think, where like there is sly humor in this. There are some really funny moments, but if there's satire, it's not like beating you over the head with it. It's the just classic satire that you get when you have a, a recollection of the past and you know how things went and you can play upon that while writing a story in the past. I mean, that kind of stuff really works. It's just, you know, he's not overdoing anything here the way that he sometimes does. I think he's a super smart writer. I think he's really funny. But, like, sometimes it's just hammering that joke. And this, there's none of that in here. This is, it's earnest. It's detailed. uh, It's true to life. There's some emotion in it. But then there's an undercurrent of humor, too. Yeah. The Lex stuff, mainly. Yes, yes. Like he's like you could imagine Gene Hackman doing this Lex. Yes, yes. And I love that like Russell, I think sometimes people try to walk the Lex isn't really evil. He's just like a genius and you know, he's myopic and whatever. Like this is this is Lex nukes a city to win the contract, <laughs> right? Like this is this is fully evil Lex, and I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is just so good. Um, Zach had to say about this comic, he said, uh, 
Very oh, wait, good. What did, he, what did he say in the DMs first? Do you remember that? Uh, he said, okay. he said, it's good. And you can quote me on that. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> we quote him. It's good. And then he said, uh, very good. Pariah stuff whips. This Jonathan Kent sucks almost as hard as the Man of Steel one. Uh, artist top, uh, top notch. Can't wait for issue two. Yep. This Jonathan Kent's not that bad. No, but one thing I do want to say about that. People always bring up the, cause like back in the golden age, Jonathan Kent, he did have a few lines um, where he was like, Oh, you, you don't want to reveal yourself. You're going to, you're going to put yourself in danger or something like that. And so everybody always defends this kind of uh, Jonathan Kent writing, like whether it's this or man of steel by yeah. saying like, Oh, look, he, he, he said that in it, but you got to remember in the golden age, like Jonathan Kent had like four lines. Right. And the, the writer didn't give a shit about like <laughs> what, what his like he didn't think this was going to be 80 years of continuity you know and sometimes he was called uh even kent even 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 yes <laughs> so uh um i like like lex is almost uh adrian vite in this yes yes yeah all right. Well, that that does it for this week. Uh, an interesting week of comments. I, I, I'm mad that Z- not mad. Zach's not feeling well, and I'm I'm sad he's not here. But I feel like this is a week of comics that we had a lot. To, you and I had a lot to say about. It would have been nice to get all of his, uh, you know, more developed thoughts on as well. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, what comes out next week, Vince? Um, next week we got Aquaman Andromeda book two. We've got Batman one twenty six. We've got Batman Beyond Neo Year 5, Batman that's Killing that's Time. still happening somehow. That's still, every time I see it, I, I'm reminded of it. Um, this Batman Killing Time number six, like, I can't remember if that's the Tom King one or if that's the other one. I think um, that's the Tom King one, but I can't be okay. certain. Who could know? I, yeah, it's, uh, there is no way to know that information. Um, we've got that Batman white Knight presents the red hood thing. I don't remember if that's a mini or one shot. Um, I don't Whatever much it is, care it's too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. We won't be reading it. Uh, we got black Adam, the, that justice society files thing, cyclone number one, uh, dark crisis three DC versus vampires, eight flashpoint beyond four Harley Quinn, 18. Oh my God. Uh, multiversity teen justice. Number three, poison Ivy three, Sword of Azrael number one. Yeah, baby. Sword of Azrael Dark Knight of the Soul number one, which I think is the... That's the backup collected into one issue. Correct. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then the new champion of Shazam number one. Brian's going to buy two. One for reading, <laughs> one, for one for kissing. Yes, we've established the one for kissing rule in the <laughs> DC3 cast household is very important. Um, well, he's not here to pimp his twitter but zach is on twitter at the wilk of z i am on twitter i'm at not Brian here either. uh zach uh, vince however is uh he is not on twitter he is he has boycotted <laughs> because elon musk did not buy it and uh he is so mad about that that he created some artwork that uh <laughs> reflects that thought and that's all i'm gonna say Thanks for listening, folks. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.
Don't whiz on the electric fence. Do, 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 do.